Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and I'm coming to you from the wonderful, sweet recording down here in beautiful Mount Laurel, New Jersey. You know, guys, if you have a, a podcast or a video cast, or if you need a studio built, check out Sweet Recording. You can go to their website, sweet, S-U-I-T-E, recording.com. Anyway, we have a great show today. We have a buddy of mine. I, I met him, uh, I think it was five, or, I think it was six or seven years ago. I can't, I can't decide. And uh, I mean, I can decide. I'm not sure. And I met him at a party in the Hollywood Hills. This, this punk rock drummer had this mansion and it was crazy. And we became friends and, you know, he's got a great day job which is at night. He's a country superstar, Jason Aldean's drummer, and he's traveled the world. He plays in front of big audiences. You know, he, he's just, he's been on TV. He's been on, you know, the, the SNL. He's been on the Today Show. But the thing is great about him is he's also a kick-ass entrepreneur where he sits there. He, he has books. He has videos. He has uh, drum clinics. He's a highly sought after motivational speaker. And I want to talk to him more about that today than the music because we've talked about the music on the Cooper Talk podcast, coopertalk.net. He's been on twice. And he's been in my networking group uh, doing a presentation, then an interview. That's Coffee with Cooper. And my guest is the one, the only, coming live from Nashville, Rich Redmond. What's up, Rich? Steve, what is up, man? That is a great introduction. It's always great to see you, man. You know, my, my feed loves you. My, my Facebook feed is like, it's just like... It's Cooper. Steve Cooper, I know what you're eating. I know how many steps you're getting. It's great, man. So because even if I haven't seen you, I see you, man. Well, you know, it, it's at the time in social media, and I, I've talked about this uh, before. Like, you, you go to LinkedIn, and we're both on LinkedIn. And, and I, yeah. I'm someone where, you know, with LinkedIn, I don't put personal stuff, okay? I don't want to see personal stuff. I don't want to see politics. I don't want to see religion. I want to see LinkedIn stuff. And yeah. with social media, there's so much crap going out there that on, like, Facebook, I said, you know what? I might as well post a picture of me and my wife because, you know, as I say, I, I have a good-looking wife, so I'm not going to shy away from that. And just post <laughs> stuff that people sit there and they see the food and they go, oh, wow, we can cook. And, and it's important, you know, and that's important. So so what's up, man? Tell me, before we get into the, everything, tell me about this book. That's what I saw on your social media. You have a book, and you've written, you wrote The Crash Course of Success, which we'll talk about. But what's this new book? Because that's really exciting. Thanks, man. Oh, man, it's my third book. Um, it's um, coming out May 15th. I have a co-author, Jennifer Delazana. Um, she is now a Jersey resident. I should connect you guys. She's a real, because you know you and I are connectors. We should get you guys connected. She's great, you know, author and editor. So she's my co-author. But basically, the book is called Making It in Country Music, an Insider's Look at the Industry. And it's kind of a project that's been in the work for maybe like seven years. I would pick it up. I'd put it down. I was like, ah, does anybody really want to hear from the guy in the back wearing black? But, you know, I've been in Nashville 25 years. And, and um, you know, after 25 years, you start to put some uh, systems and processes together. You have an understanding of how that whole industry works. And so I, we just kind of wrote down my thoughts and feelings about what it takes to navigate this incredible thing. You know, you think of a, an industry like a, the music industry, you think of the guy you know, wearing the hat in front, singing the song. And that's great, but there's this whole other machinery backstage, you know, caterers and lighting directors and stage managers and drum techs and bus drivers and chefs and photographers and social media managers. And these are all parts of these cogs in the wheel that make that thing happen. So, you know, I, I jotted my thoughts down. It's going to be a hardback. It's a cool publisher, Roman and Littlefield. It's a uh, Boston company. And they put out books like um, How to Get Your Songs Published and How to Master Pro Tools, a lot of how-to type stuff, bordering on an academic press. Um, but uh, anyways, we're really excited about it, man. It's coming out May 15th. 
Now, you mentioned that, you know, you've been in Nashville for 25 years. And, and that's one thing I like to talk about people on this show is about networking and, and what drives you and why you do what you do. And I know you play drums because you've been playing since you were a little kid. And that's something that you love. But what brought you to Nashville? What was the thing that sat there and you said, you know what, I can be a musician anywhere. And I know you were in Texas and you've been all around. What made you sit there and go, I got to move to Nashville. And once you got there, how did you start navigating it? Because it's it must be overwhelming. Yeah. Well, you know, there's really kind of like some sometimes people get angry. They live in some of the satellite cities, you know, like I consider like maybe like Austin, Texas, Miami, Seattle, Portland, Dallas. These are kind of like music business satellite cities. But, you know, it's New York, L.A., Nashville. And, you know, you know, I love I'm an East Coast kid. So you would think that New York would be an obvious choice for me. But, you know, trying to get a hail a taxi or moving a set of drums on the subway is not a fun thing. And, uh, and then then if you look at Los Angeles, yeah, I'm much more of an L.A. guy, you know, that's where I met you. I love the sunshine and, and that whole thing. And then there's Nashville. And in Nashville, people are very approachable. There's a southern charm to it. There's that pace, you know. But, but at the same time, now, 25 years later, this wasn't the case when I moved there. But people from the coast are moving to Nashville because you can still buy a house. You got dirt under your feet. You know, you, it, it's, a, it's, it's just a, there's a lifestyle you can have as a working musician in a place like Nashville. So... My bags, you know, I was getting my master's degree and I was like, where am I going to go? Which one of the three cities? And my bags were kind of getting packed to move to L.A. to wear really colorful shirts and play smooth jazz. You know, I was like, I'm going to play some smooth jazz, maybe get in a rock band, you know, um, take care of this VO5 mullet that I have, um, hot oil treatment mullet. And uh, anyways, I got this audition with uh, with all these icons uh trisha yearwood this beautiful songbird and that led to an audition with dina carter who's this kind of like new thing on the scene and and then icon barbara mandrell and so three weeks in a row i flew from dallas to nashville to go do these auditions people loved my playing but they said where do you live kid you know the guy smoking this guy where do you live kid when the tour starts next week and i'm like i'm in, I'm in dallas and there and i i should have known right then and there you know fake it till you make it i live right up the street man and crashed on someone's couch and and got the gig but what that did is it was the impetus for the change in my life which was to give my band in Dallas two weeks notice you know I don't want to play weddings and bar mitzvahs my entire life and I gave my two weeks notice and I moved to Nashville and yeah Nashville there's like I said I'm from New England super high energy like yourself you know like talking a million miles an hour walking a million got things to do places to be and that is not the case in Nashville it is that southern like hey slow down kid and so that that was actually kind of good for me but yeah I immediately started pressing the flesh I mean the first day I moved to town I joined the musicians union I was putting out business cards at coffee shops. I had an electronic press kit. I had a physical press kit. I was making copies at Kinko's. I had cassette demo tapes. I was passing out like every like every valet guy and girl in town got the, you know, and I was like making phone calls, you know, just trying to move the ball forward. And little did I realize that and those efforts, I'm sure, were great. But sometimes you just got to like just live. You just got to be part of a community and um you know take your time be immerse yourself in that community support the community and the, the community will support you and that's what nashville is about it's about that musical community of people lifting each other up at 10 a.m every morning a song is being written for some superstar you know now where did you find that business acumen like where did where did it come to you because you know i know you went to school for music and i talked to a lot of actors and they say they go to school for acting and then when they get out of acting, they go, holy shit, what am I going to do? They didn't tell me how to get an agent. They didn't tell me how to promote myself. They didn't tell me how to get an audition. I mean, I've yeah. talked to actors who have sat there and they ended up on a TV set and they're like, 
holy crap, wait a second, yeah. I, I'm what, what? Like I don't, I'm I'm used to theater. Where did you learn to sit there and do that legwork in the beginning? To sit there and think, you know, give out cassettes, give out this. Did you did you take a class, a business class, or how did you figure that part out of it? Well, I, you know, I think that's just, it was just a natural thing in my blood. My dad was always, you know, my mom was a nurse. She was a nurse for over 40 years, retired. And my dad was a, was an accountant, you know, and he was just a business minded guy. And, you know, he, he uh, <laughs> had to work in El Paso, Texas for 20 years. And so he had, you know, he had to learn Spanish. You know, you look at the skills, like, what do I need to make this thing work and, you know, move the ball down the field? But yeah, I'm just like high energy. I was just kind of like, you know, uh, look at me, Nashville. I'm here. You've been waiting for me. Right. And, and it's like that it wasn't really the right attitude, but it, it, it's like there's a humility that I learned along the way, obviously, but it's like, hey, it was like, hey, I was one of the top call drummers in Dallas. I want to be one of the top call drummers here. I realized that, you know, no one cared about my accolades. They just, I had to prove myself. I had to start shaking those hands, crashing those parties, taking those gigs. One person, it's it's a word of mouth business very, very much. I mean, thank God we have these tools now. I mean, you know, LinkedIn is fantastic. Um, and LinkedIn, by the way, is looking more and more like a normal social media network. I mean, there's likes and shares. They've kind of like made it uh, a little bit more youthful. And I think it's getting stickier. People are, are on there more often. Um, but anyways, yeah. So I just started doing that thing. My dad was always like network, network, network. Your network is your net worth. And I was like, yeah, dad, I get it. I think it was just kind of in my bones. My mom was really outgoing and my dad was a sharp business guy. And, uh, you know, you got to put yourself out there. You got to shout from a mountaintop. You got to let people know that you exist. And then when they give you an opportunity, you thank them by knocking that thing out of the ballpark. If somebody recommends you for something, you have to like make them look good and like say thanks. And then boom, you make them look really, really good. Now you mentioned connectors, you know, and, and we are both connectors and I've always, I find, I find great pleasure connecting people. I think it's something I don't do it. I do it. I don't do it for me. I mean, I connect. Yeah, but people. it's completely natural, Steve. You are the ultimate connector. Thank you, thank you. I, you know, just I, I do it. But how did you become a connector? Where did you notice? Because you know, we both high energy, and for me, you know, you we're at different levels. Like you, you know, you're, you know, I know you don't admit it, but you're, you're a star, and you're not, and that's something that's fine. You know, coming in, but you, Crazy. but you're so, always so nice to people. I've connected people to you, like on Twitter, like a drummer. I know, like if a drummer reached out to you. Uh, on Twitter, I know you will respond to them. Where did you learn that? Because you know, in the business, we're we're both in the entertainment world. There are a lot of jerks. I mean, how did you keep this this nice guy image? Because you know, you've been with Jason for a long time, so you, you know yeah. it's something that you struggle for a little bit. But you've you wrote you've ridden the ride, and you're with one of the biggest acts in the in the country. A lot of people at that point would become pricks how have you just sat there and stayed nice to people because you do you're very helpful you know you've came to my when you spoke at my networking event people reached out to you you talked to them but where does that come from I, man, I think that's, you know, it's just a God-given thing, man. It's like, a, it's like one of our, um, you know, our gifts as uh, extroverted people, 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 you know, <laughs> that's why I tell people, that's why I go to, you know, I love mom and pop coffee shops, but I like going to Starbucks, you know, nine times out of 10, because A, it's everywhere, but they have just such a consistent product that makes me feel good. When I walk in the door, they hire people, people usually, you know what I mean? It's like, they, there's a, you're paying for the smile. And the feeling you get more than the coffee, you know what I mean? And I like that. I like that a, a consistent dose of that in my life. So that's why I go there. 
Um, but uh, but but yeah, I, I remember reaching out to famous drummers when I was young, like, look at my demo tape. I'm 21. I would send it to guys. I would FedEx it, you know, with a little note, handwritten note, and it would just fall on deaf ears. And I always, I always promised myself, I said, if I ever get into a position of somewhat of some notoriety in this crazy business, I will make sure that I respond to every direct message, tweet, Facebook message, email, text. Like if someone reaches out to me, I do my best to help that person. And we're in the business of solving problems. You know, as a session drummer, I'm in the business of solving a person's problem. Look at, I have this story to tell. I've been laboring over for the last 10 years and now I finally saved my money to hire a band. I'm on drums. I got this huge responsibility to bring this person's music to life. That's a huge uh, responsibility and I'm solving a problem for them. So doesn't it feel good when someone says, oh, hey man, oh, you need a bass player for your band? Oh, I got the perfect guy. Oh, you need a speaker for your convention? Steve Cooper says, oh, I got the perfect guy. And then you solve a problem and then they create a friendship and then there's this ripple in the universe and it continues on and on this positive thing. And it's all because you had a willingness to get off your butt, get off your phone for one second and, um, you know, help someone in the real world. feels good. Now, you do a lot of different stuff. And I think a lot of drummers do that. What is it in the drum? I always say, you know, because of Spinal Tap, everyone thinks the drummers are the crazy. You know, oh, he blew, you know, the shit like that. And you always get that reputation because Keith Moon and all that. But what's funny is, what first of all, for me, when it comes to music, the drummer is using both sides of his brain because he's got to use yeah. oh, yeah. his 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 feet. I mean, I think they're, I, I tap on the dashboard I'm driving. I look like an idiot. I'm like, do, 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 do. And I'm totally off key. Do, 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 do. But then I think <laughs> you're listening and the drummer is going, do, 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 do. And then boom, boom, boom. And then, oh, wait, there's a hi-hat. And you're you're doing all this shit. And it's like, it's like what, is that why a lot of you drummers all... All you drummers have clinics. You have this, you have that. Is that what it is? Because your brain is always working because when you're performing, you know, strumming a guitar is one thing and it's great, but drumming, you're using arms and legs and, and you know, Tommy Aldridge from uh, Whitesnake uses his head to do a drum solo. I mean, <laughs> what is it about you and the drummers that you guys all seem to really have branched out and doing other stuff? Yeah, man. I, I th like I say, I think it's an energy thing. Like the drummer, like we see the 50 foot view of everything. We have the best seat in the house. You know, we can, we see everything. We take everything in. It makes us great producers, you know, because we can see the big picture and our instrument is requires a lot of self-discipline to like be that piece that brings it all together to make it at that danceable thing that makes people want to move that healing feeling that brings people together, makes them forget about their troubles. You know, it, that's a gift, you know, Drummers are extreme multitaskers. We're doing four things at the same time. So people are like, well, what was your childhood? Like, well, it's like, you know, I did some speed skating and I played, you know, a little softball. I tried soccer. You know, I was a dungeon master. You know, I did a little running. Um, but really, I was in the march. That was my exercise. I was in the marching band for four years in high school and four years in college, you know. But um, I was committed to this. I had this gift. I recognized it and I wanted to form it, mold it, cultivate it, shape it. And that took my youth you know I was in a dark room just practicing getting my 10,000 hours in and um, it feels good the drummers are always like the we're usually the shortest you know we're usually like um, you know challenged height wise um, and we have this low 
center of gravity. We're just like, oh, I'll take care. We're like a little Buddha back there just taking care of everything. Almost like Leonard Bernstein in the, you know, the orchestra. You know, we are kind of doing so much back there that impacts the, 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 the end result of the music, the feeling, the vibe, the energy, the dynamics. We can help with the storytelling. It's, it's a heavy job. But also, we're also forgot about in a lot. You know, you look at the Beatles and, like, look at how accomplished Ringo is. He's 80 years old. He, you know, he's, he's very height, weight proportionate. Still looks really good. Tons of energy. He's still got his marbles. Um, but you know how many Ringo jokes there are, you know, I mean, it's like, but give the guy some credit. He's back there at Shea Stadium. There's no monitors. Girls are screaming. It sounds like a jet engine taking off. They can't hear each other. The guy's back there holding the Beatles together, playing like a human metronome, and they can't even hear each other. Give the guy some credit. But you, yeah, usually the drummers are the guys that are like, oh, they handle the social media or they do a little um booking or they do graphic design for the band they're, they're usually very involved in stuff like that you know now you mentioned just a little while ago about you had this gift how did you recognize you have the gift i mean because a lot of people think they have the gift and that's in all aspects of business you know you run into it you think a salesman thinks he has a gift and he's like just giving you the car going hey it's like herb tarlick on wkrp in cincinnati so <laughs> when, when did you when did you notice that you had this gift because i think you know when I did comedy, I, and someone asked me, how do you write jokes? And I said, they just come to me. And they go, well, that's amazing. I go, no, no, it's easy for me. A musician writing a song is amazing to me. But I just knew yeah. I could write. I, it's just something that it came to me. And it wasn't like I yeah. sat there and took classes for it. But how did you know that you had the gift? Was there a defining moment that you went, holy shit, I am really good? Or did you sit there and say, I know I have something in me. I just need to practice more. Yeah, man. Well, you know what? I still have not seen a Steve Cooper stand-up show, and I and I and it, it just pains me. Were, were you were, were you were you like a like a joke guy, joke guy, or were you like did you have like a concept where you would thread together? Did you do crowd work? I mean, what kind of like show do you have? I did it all, and you know, and I don't perf I, when I performed a few months ago, it was. 350 people and I was nervous I hadn't been on stage for dude that's a lot for a comedian bro I hadn't been on stage for two and a half years and I'm sitting there I'm looking before I go on stage my Fitbit's speeding my heart rate's at like 140 and my foot started getting numb and I'm like holy shit well, how do you comment how do you comment you, you go out there the first joke and, and it lands and then you're like okay these I, are my people I well I, I I knew I knew fifty of the people in the crowd because they're from my networking group, but I and I and that was more pressure because if I sucked when I was in a networking group, they go, well, man, this guy said he's funny. He, he's sort of an ass. He's he 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 ate it. I just went in. I once again, I know what would work, and I knew the crowd because my friend Joe Matteris was the headliner, and we have the same type of, and you know, Joe, you did this podcast, we have the same type of crowd. We, you know, we're from the same area. And I just knew, I just knew. I went up and I did something, and I just knew I had a closing bit that I did. It was like a eight-minute chunk, and it was people that should be shot. And I said, but, you know, not figured, no, not literally, figuratively. <laughs> and I just knew what would hit, and I knew the area. Like I said, you know, people in South Jersey or Philly who go to, the Olive Garden for Italian food. Well, that goes crazy because everyone knows in this area, Olive Garden is crap. But I know that. But for you, how did you know that you had the gift that you were a good drummer? Did little six-year-old Rich Redman listen to like Moby Dick by Led Zeppelin just kick it? I mean, sugar. how did you know? 
Well, dude. Oh man. Well, I, you know, I was, I guess I was restless. So I was hitting everything in sight. So my dad said, let's get you some drum lessons. And I think, you know, secretly my dad always fancied the drums. He was a huge fan of Gene Krupa, you know, doom, 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 you know, sing, sing, sing. Uh, you know, he loved the big bands. He, my dad saw the birth of rock and roll. He lived down the street from Bill Haley's drummer, you know, Bill Haley in the comments, one, two, three, rock, rock around the clock, that, that whole thing. So I think it was in my DNA. I was too young for it. 1976, 1977, 1978. I was taking my lessons. My teacher told my parents, hey, this kid is really ahead of the game like he can do this and he's got a great jump start but I was I was too young I wanted to play with my Star Wars figures ride my banana bike ride my skateboard you know do the whole thing and when we ended up moving to Texas which has this great music education culture um, I joined the fifth grade band and I was ahead of the other kids which gave me even more confidence right and and um, you know I get into this conversation a lot with people people and that no entertainers and they're like I think to be an entertainer it's just a given that there has to be some degree of narcissism you know it gives you the thing that factor that allows you to go and bear your soul in front of a room full of strangers and entertain them right it just takes that little that the even the smallest amount of it just to it's in the job description so i don't know man you get feedback from the universe you know your teachers your fellow classmates you start joining bands and people are like oh we got to get redmond da, 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 da. um but you know that stuff you know uh, you know success during the new wave and heavy metal era it eluded me because during that exact time I was coming up, I was in the school band and orchestra and pep band and marching band. I was getting a very academic education, playing with weekend bands. And then, you know, things didn't really start for me. I didn't really get on a tour bus until I was 26 years old, which, in a, you know, for a lot of people is like they've already had a platinum record and have a, a huge drug addiction. And then they're working at Guitar Center. You know what I mean? At that age, you know what I mean? So I was kind of like a late bloomer. But when I started, I had all the tools in my tool belt man and it was just a matter of like connecting and finding the right people because a drummer without a lead singer is a very sad thing you know drum solos only go so far you know the whole um making a living as a as a drummer is about providing a service i'm in the service industry which is to solve a problem uh somebody has written a song and they need that thing to come to life in the recording studio then they need to bring it to life in front of a paying audience that's another skill set right so you know uh yeah i just somehow had that confidence i kept building upon it i kept investing in myself you know education lessons um, always recorded myself, always videoed myself and, you know, learned from things and just constantly tried to improve. You know, it's funny. You said there's a, a, a sign of narcissism when you're an entertainer. It's funny. There's yeah. also, there's a big side of insecurity. And I think it's the only job where you're insecure and you're a narcissist. I mean, seriously, yeah. cause you know, we, you know, comics, we reach out for, you know, I mean, that's, that's, you know, Someone normal doesn't do that. You go up on the stage and you eat crap for like 30 minutes and you come and you feel even worse. But it's just funny. It's one of those entertainment is one of those jobs where you're mixing insecurity and narcissism, which they shouldn't really merge, but they do. No way. It's like it's like the music business. It's like a it's like an art form and it's a craft. It's a it is a hobby and a business at the same time. And those two, you know. Art and commerce should not mix, but I realized that I that this was an art form, and I wanted to 
master it. I wanted to, but at the same time, I wanted to figure out how to monetize it because it brought me so much, so much joy. I wanted to be behind a set every drums, a set of drums every day. So what do I have to do to do that? Well, there has to be a lot of people in the world that know that I exist and they have to champion my ability and be willing to spend money to get me in the room and that just is time in the trenches you know hey i was going to ask you um uh what do you think do you i mean you seem like a super well-adjusted guy um but do you feel like most comedians are like incredibly damaged people that are searching for a missing thing from their childhood like a daddy issue or a mommy issue or no i don't i i think you know it's funny that's the that's the reputation they have and 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 that's like anything though you can go into it you can go to i'm going to a networking event tonight i guarantee there's some damaged people that are going to be there and that's like in any sure. profession but with comedy, and they're not brave enough to get up on stage and right. like basically just walk out there with a sock on their you know what and, well, and yeah, bear yeah. their soul I mean, I mean i think i think with comedy you know we do we do have a little uh wanting of acceptance i think it's something we also want to like you say you know you pro if you can do a, if you're good at something you can write a joke you want to get that accepted and i don't think you know i mean there are damaged people but i think most comics are very the ones i've worked with are very smart people because you have to be smart i always yeah. say a friend of mine wrote for you know uh i carly and you know and he didn't have kids. That's a smart guy. When he can sit there, that's that's knowing your crap. When you can write jokes for thirteen year olds and you're you know forty, and you don't have kids. That's, that's a craft. Yeah, that's a now, that's a focused craft. Yeah. Now we all focus on craft. Now I want to ask you. You know, you have the crash course of success and the motivational speaking. How did you get into that? Because you know you're sitting there. As I said, for most people, the job you have would be like, this is awesome. You know, I'm playing in a huge band. I'm playing in front of packed houses. Like, I could just do this forever. But you sat there for some reason and said, I want to branch out. How did you decide to get into motivational speaking? Because you perform, you do it for a lot of big companies. But how does one go about getting into that field? Because it's something that you don't sit there and go, oh, yeah, hey, we work for, uh, you know, Walmart. Let's let's get a uh, Let's get a drummer who wears all black <laughs> to come talk to our CEOs because that's what they want. They want drummers, which they probably do because everyone loves music. But how yeah. did you how did you get into the motivational speaking and tell talk a little more about the crash course of success? Because it is fascinating. And you have a book and people you can get his book. Google Rich put Rich Redmond in Amazon Crash Course for Success. It's it's up there, right? Yeah, yeah, man. The Crash Course of Success is a, it was like a yeah, it's an Amazon bestseller. We were on a top fifty it fell under the rock biography category, but hey, man, I'll take it. Um, it's part memoir and part, um, you know, like how to, how to live a more successful personal professional life. And so crash, you know, acronym. So pe some people love acronyms. Some people hate acronyms. I love them because you can put it in your back pocket. It's like, oh, yeah, that rich guy told me about crash. Crash stands for commitment, relationships attitude, skill, and hunger. So you can put those things together. Those are five things that literally anyone in any season of their life can use to enjoy a more prosperous, uh, happy life. So, you know, committing, you know, hey, we have a commitment right here. You said be here at 1030 in the morning. I have enough respect for you that I'm going to be here. Boom, 1029. So committing, committing to your friends, your family, your product, your service, you know, you're definitely going to reap the benefits of that. You know, cultivating sincere hopefully mutually beneficial lifelong relationships you're a big believer in that you know we mixing business and pleasure constantly realizing that attitude is 99 percent of life enthusiasm is contagious i've seen it time and time again uh skill set we have to identify the skills we need to be successful in our chosen field and never become the fat elvis you know we have to constantly be keeping up with the joneses and today the world is moving so fast that we have literally have to run to stand still and there's so many things we have to not be a, a jack of all trades master of none we have to 
to be a master of all these days, and that's why we so many people are wearing so many hats as entrepreneurs. And then hunger is the final piece, having that flame that burns in your belly, stoking that flame to be a successful person. And then the final piece is essentially, you know, passion is your engine and hard work is the fuel. If you've chosen the right thing in life, in your lane to be passionate about, it never feels like work, which allows you to work even harder. And the harder you work, more people's places, circumstances, opportunities will cross your path for success. So you can use any of those things, but you've used them with perfect synchronicity. You'll be essentially an unstoppable person. It's easy to remember. It works for farmers. It works for big pharma. It works for a a tech company, a juggernaut like Cisco. It works for a startup. It works for school assemblies. It works for college graduation ceremonies. You know, literally it's, I have molded this presentation to every type of business and the commonality is through all of it is that people like a high energy person that's walking the walk talking they talk they go oh my god this guy's playing the drums like he's gonna die behind the drums and he's probably okay with that this is the physical manifestation of his passion of his um purpose of his attitude so they can kind of see that you know and it's interactive and and perform hit songs and so it's almost kind of like a one-man rock show you know you know meets a one-man show like an actor type thing and people can take some nuggets away so you know the book is there but uh uh, it really the purpose is to nowadays a book gives you the permission to go out and hold a microphone in your hand and to talk to people and I, I feel like I've always um, had a love affair with communication I've considered myself an effective communicator and it's something that another skill that I just try to keep refining throughout all the the uh, stages of my life you know because I have a background in education I have my master's degree in music education so I've done a lot of teaching one-on-one small groups large ensembles uh, kindergarten, grade school, high school, uh, you know, postgraduate stuff. Um, and then, you know, your big uh, Fortune 500 companies, people are all the same. They want to be entertained. They want to learn something. And um, so that's kind of where the crash course comes in. And it's always been a natural thing for me. My mom always had all the books, all of the Tony Robbinses and all of the Napoleon Hills. And I came a be kind of came a, a student of that thought process, essentially the law of attraction. You read what you know. Now you you've also you've written a book that deal with kids and music. How important is it to you as as a musician to have kids involved with music? Because you know a lot of schools, I, I the school I went to had a great marching band. I remember my my brother and sister went to Switzerland to perform. Like um, you know, and then they played they used to play in the Miss America concert. I mean, because it was Atlantic City, they played there. And Cherry Hill East had a great band, and music was always yeah. important. I took guitar lab. I sucked. I dropped out. I could play the beginning of Roundabout. That bring, that's it. It's part of the guitar. I saw, I was awful, but uh, and I could play purple, uh, deep Just purple. Just one note. And, uh, yeah, and I, I but I figured it out, and I could play on deep oh, purple. Yeah. I could go boom, boom, boom. But that's it. You have gotten involved with kids in music. Why is that a very important thing to you? Because you started when you're young, and I think music can, is so important to kids for their social development too. Because you know, think about it. Like in high school, I remember in junior high, people would write their favorite album bands down on a notebook. And I remember when Kiss came out with a rock and roll over, it was uh, it, it was a decal and you put it on your notebook and you were cool if you had it. But you wrote that book for kids. How important oh, yeah. is it that kids keep playing music? Oh, it's very important. You know, the arts have been disappearing in the schools for a long, long time. So that's why I always bring up Texas as, as a model. It's crazy. You wouldn't think that in Texas, but it, there's just such a crazy amount of support for the arts. There really, really is. And, you know, whether students become professional musicians, music teaches 
so much. It, you know, use both sides of your brain. You work on your emotional intelligence, your spatial reasoning, the three R's, working in a group, being able to take direction without being offended. These are all huge, huge life school life skills, you know, um, especially the taking direction without being offended uh, portion of things. But yeah, music is just a great, you know, kids that play music, they do better on their, their tests, you know, they have a more well-rounded life, you know, it's this gateway to the soul, music and art. So, so I'm a big proponent of music education. I'm a product of music education. So I get into the schools as much as I possibly can. And uh, I do have that book. It's called Fun Fundamental, fundamentals of drumming for kids and um it's it's a different take on the normal pedagogy of teaching a musical instrument which is like okay kid we're going to lock you in a dark room here's how you hold the sticks and you're going to be on this practice pad so you don't drive your parents crazy for the next two years once you prove yourself that you have facility in your hands then we're going to move you onto the drums where you're required to do four things at the same time what I do with the kids um, is with this book is we have flashcards and we learn about the parts of the drum set. And this is for ages five, you know, so they learn about famous drummers and the history of rhythm. Then they learn about note values, like what a whole note is or a half note. And then before you know it, they're holding the sticks, they're counting. And most importantly, I'm teaching them to read music um, and be able to play what I call these money beats are those beats that they were hearing in their mama's belly when she was pregnant. And, and, um, and, and, and so if they get hooked on the drums, then we can go back and fill in all the boring pedagogical stuff that, that people used to teach the drums in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, you know, which is how I was taught, which was like, hey, kid, you got to prove yourself on this. Then maybe we'll get you a set of drums. And, you know, then I'm playing along the Ronnie James Dio songs every day. I'm dreaming of playing in Madison Square Garden. But but that that is kind of like my take on on how I approach teaching young kids how to play the drums. You know, get them on the instrument get them falling in love with it. Now, it's funny. You just said that you know, and you, you picture yourself seeing playing in Madison Square Garden, which you have. What is that like when you sit there and you have that vision as a young kid and then all of a sudden you're actually there. What is that like, you know, in, do you sit there when you're in on stage at Madison square garden and just relish, like I worked my ass off here and I just, I thought of this as a kid or you go, I better not screw up. I'm in fucking Madison square garden. I mean, what goes yeah. through your, what goes, what went through your head when you played Madison square garden? Yeah, man, that's a great question. Well, you know, my I just had so much uh, tenacity. I was just so full of P and V, man. I just was like, I am not going to stop this journey until I get what I want. And I and I, what I wanted was to hear myself on the radio, to see myself on television, and travel the world on someone else's dime. Music was going to allow me to do that. And as a drummer, that wasn't going to happen until I found my Elton John, my Billy Joel, my John Mellencamp, my Sting. Jason Aldean is that guy for me. He he goes out there. We've never canceled a show. I think we've canceled one or two shows in the last 23 years. Guy's a rock star and he needs a drummer. Thank God I'm that guy. So I treat that. It's a lot of responsibility. Um, I have to know the material very, very well. And I have to be able to execute with all my heart and all my soul, no matter if we're jet lagged or hung over, we have the flu or food poisoning. It's like the, sh the show's got to go on. But I always try to sit behind the drums and I look out at the venue, whether it's like Red Rocks or Fenway or Wrigley or the Gorge or an NFL stadium or the Hollywood Bowl. It's like, oh, my God, pinch me, pinch me, pinch me. Um, and I take it in and I go, oh, my God, Hollywood Bowl. Beatles played here. Hendrix played here. Everybody played here. You know, now you're playing here. And so, you know, you earn that right to by knocking that thing out of the ballpark and entertaining the hell out of those people. And at the same time, 
having a great time man, doing it, you know, because people people pick up on unspoken energy. They pick up on the, your, the vibe that you're putting down, you know, and if you're a negative Nelly, you're not going to last in any industry. You know, nobody wants to be around the water cooler with a negative Nelly. You know, they want a cool, positive person that's like, see yellow last night i mean i know that you're that person you're like you know because you're always binging some new series you're like you see you see that new episode of whatever you know and it's you're the, you're the positive guy you're connecting you're like where are we eating lunch where's happy hour you know so if you're if you're bringing like a high level of your skill set to the table and you're combining it with uh, you know ultra cool approachable um humanness you know you can do no wrong your people are going to want to be around you now I, I didn't get. The, I, I never, we didn't really talk about this during the pandemic. We did a little bit, but what was it like for you during the pandemic? Because music is your life, and then all of a sudden yeah. you can't perform, and you're used to doing your motivational speaking in front of people because you feed off that. Because your show, it's not like you're like you know the guy Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. Yeah, you, know, right. you need energy. What was it like for you during that time? Was it really hard? Did you sit there? I've talked to some people who are performers who said they really grew they got to spend time with their families and da, 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 da. but what was it like for you because you're that guy you're always working you're always if you're not speaking you're you're I mean, if you're not performing you're speaking what is it like when all of a sudden they're going hey rich you know i know you're up 25 you work 25 hours a day and there's for 24 but you know what you can't do shit you got to stay in what was that like for yeah. you oh man yeah we did kind of go through that together, man. I was like, you know, I, I had a different experience than a lot of some people in my life because I went through the pandemic in Los Angeles and they treated the things differently than other parts of the country. Um, but I just, you know, I just tried to um, stay healthy. So it was like every day was like my, you know, taking that zinc and that multi and <laughs> that vitamin D and, you know, eating like really nutritious food. And I exercised my brains out for a year and a half. I mean, I just ran all over West Hollywood and Beverly Hills. I know every alley in West Hollywood and Beverly Hills. And that was good. And all that vitamin D in my skin every day. But yeah, I am. I go crazy if I don't have a a a a purpose a goal and so i used the time you know i i read i doubled down on my podcast i appeared on a lot of podcasts um i wrote a tedx talk with my speaking coach that i want to kind of eventually unleash on the world um i taught at the musicians institute online uh which was really really good so i was staring into this little green light on my camera for hours a day trying to mentor the next generation of kids um that kind of stuff oh you know and then you know because i crashed on your floor in uh, burbank i was you know studying acting and i i got a hosting co i got a hosting agent and i had a commercial agent but in the early days of the pandemic i was like i don't know if this is if they're compliant, you know, I don't want to get sick, you know, because I, I eventually wanted to like visit my parents and stuff. And so like in, in the back of my mind, I was like, ah, I got to really take care of myself because if I'm going to see my parents, I don't I don't want to be that guy that gets their parents sick. Right. I mean, so that was always in the back of my mind. But I just stayed real busy doing the practicing, doing the teaching, working with my speaking coach, taking online acting classes, trying to move the ball down the field, doing things that I had control over because there was a so many things, as you know, that we didn't have control over. So it's like, let's double down on the things that I have control over, which is my creative output, my mental and physical happiness, and then stay ready because the phone was going to ring 
at some point to go back on tour and you know you don't have to get ready if you stay ready so like i was eating right and taking care of myself i had the sticks in my hands every day so when the call came to like all right we're going back on tour late 2021 like i was ready all i had to do was like play down the show and then it was like let's go let's go do this thing you know which is great because when you see your best friends every day for 23 years and then all of a sudden you don't for a year and a half very strange now you do a lot of drum clinics how'd you get into that because that fascinates me i know you always sit there you you, i'll see you on facebook you're like oh i'm playing in you know whatever at at mohegan sun and and, it's such and such joe's music shop in whatever danbury or whatever how did you get into that and what do people get when they come to that i mean and do you market that yourself yeah i do everything a lot of people think that like i have like like a like a team you know running rich redmond industries or crash entertainment and, and we're on the top floor of some you know rockefeller pl- no it's all me dude i do everything myself so any kind of entrepreneurial spirit i have you know it, it you know it, it just takes a lot to like to, to 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 build and maintain a personal brand and then use that thing to try to create other things for yourself where your name is on the marquee you know and that that always feels good even if it's just a you know uh, <laughs> one of those like it looks like a barbecue joint tonight rich redmond is like a little mom and pop drum shop but then they, they, they there's you know there's a line out the door and they come and the people they want to ask questions and they want to be part of that's that community spirit that music and drums has you know it's a, it's a great thing but no I, I i do it all myself man and and it's so funny that you asked that because yesterday there was this um photo on facebook that emerged facebook's really good about that but it was from like oh my god like 13 years ago and it was me 110 degrees in georgia somewhere in a parking lot doing a parking lot drum clinic for this company called music and arts which is owned by guitar center and i would just do these things man like anywhere like high schools colleges community colleges mom and pop music stores music and arts guitar center sam ash I would go do that. I'd bring the music to the people. I would do the performance. I take the questions. I would, yeah, I built that thing by the sweat of my brow doing that during the day of our shows. So I would be able to like be cruising down the highway and be like, Hey, what's going on? I'm the drummer with Jason Aldino coming to your uh, college. We're playing the basketball arena on campus and I'm free. I'm getting in at 10 AM and, uh, I would like to do a clinic for the percussion uh department they go what's this gonna cost me you know like the hint you know what do i have to do and i was like nothing i got my own set of drums send a student to pick me up take me to the other side of campus we'll do this thing from 12 30 to 2 and all i ask is that that you um get me some testimonials and feedback from your students and then over the course of you know 13 14 years I built this thing where I'm, you know, I'm a, uh, I guess a relatively um, uh, respected uh, drum educator, you know. Now, how part Just by doing it? How important is entrepreneurship to you? Because you are an entrepreneur, you know, and, and you know, you're. It's and anyone who's a performer is somewhat of an entrepreneur because you are starting your own business. When I did comedy in the early days, you you had to put your press kit together, you had to get that videotape of your show, you had to learn that, you had to contact people, and if you didn't have that skill, you didn't work. But you know. Yeah. I mean, you consider yourself an entrepreneur, but how important is it for you to be an entrepreneur? So important, Um, especially in this day and age, even when people that have corporate positions, you know, 
we talked about this a lot. It's like even if you're in a high-level corporate position, you're self-employed because at any time the axe can drop, and they're probably not even going to give you a gold watch or a severance package. They're going to say, thanks for your service. See you later. And then you're back to being self-employed. So, um yeah, it's 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 kind it's kind of like you're on your own, and I'm not a cubicle guy. You know, when I moved to Nashville, I, I I made copies, and I you know I did data entry, and I parked cars, and I was a waiter, and I just knew that I was one of those guys. I just had to, I have wanderlust. You know, I want to be out there doing my thing. You know, fulfilling my purpose. So, so to do that every day, you have to be really good. At reminding people that you exist. Some people are just, it just lands in their lap. They're just so good. They can't be ignored. You know, that's, that's a, that's a powerful thing. You know, when you're so good, it can't be ignored. And a lot of these people are, are helpless. They, they, they like are just don't have any business acumen. They have no marketing skills or, and sometimes they have no interest in doing it. They have like a personality where it's like, Oh, I can't put myself out there like that. Right. But it still happens for them because somehow the right, I don't want to take that chance. I don't want to sit around waiting for the right opportunity. I want to create opportunities for myself because I have enough confidence that says, if you put me in the room, I will make your performance or your record better and we'll have a great time doing it. Right. So to do that, I had to build a personal brand. I had to remind people that I existed. And then you're never done paying dues. After 25 years in Nashville, there's a completely new guard. People that I came up with have left the business. They've passed on to the other realm, you know, and I have to have enough um, humility, gratitude for my position, but humility to go mix and mingle and be like, I have to prove myself to a whole other generation of people that are moving to Nashville, you know, and I have to be okay with that. And I am because I still want to play the drums every day. Now, how important is networking to you? Because that's the big thing I always like to talk to people about. You know, networking is such a, a, a well, it, it's funny. A lot of people sit there and they say it's, you know, like I hear people go, oh, we're power networkers. But no, bottom line is, we've been networking our whole lives. You know, if you wanted yeah. to go to a party in college, you find someone who had the party and you go, hey, hey, yo, do you know uh you know, Jim G over there in, in G dorm. Yeah. Can you get me on the party? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. So we've been networking our whole lives, but now it's become this yeah. big thing where people sit there and they, they give themselves titles and they, and it's all to me. I'm like, you know, it's just, I always say, just don't be a jerk. That's my, that's my, that's my secret of networking. It's a don't, great philosophy. Don't be a jerk. That's all it takes. How important has networking been to you to building your career and what makes you a good networker? Nice, nice, nice. Um, well, you know, it does, it, through the ages, it has gotten a bad, people in the know know that we need to do it. And even if we're doing it, um, un unconsciously, we're doing it all the time. Right. But then, you know, like you, you put events together and stuff and that is power networking. That's like, I'm going to put my best foot forward, my best outfit on. I'm going to like go to this thing. I'm going to have my fresh business cards. And it's like, you're going with that purpose of like, it's almost like speed dating, right? I'm going to be here for two hours and maybe some great opportunities and circumstances when relationships or maybe friendships will come along from this situation. But when you just make it part of your life where you're just a connector like us and you're trying to do everything for the right reason, my reason is because I want to get behind a set of drums every day impact lives change lives through my gift then there, there's really nothing dirty or negative about networking it's about how how can we connect how can we collaborate how can we create something through combining our god-given talents and that's 
all it is. It's all it is. We all need to click. We all need a tribe. We all need um, uh, yeah, that, that group of like-minded individuals. And so it has been crazy important for my career because the music business doesn't operate on resumes. It doesn't operate on monster.com. It doesn't operate on headhunters. It doesn't. It's all about people and people championing each other, you know, so um, you can never know enough people, you know, and those people that you do know um, have to hold you in the highest regards and have you on that list somewhere. If somebody needs a drummer, speaker, host type guy, I'm hoping that I'm on the list, you know. So what makes you a good networker? What do you think makes you a good networker? Like me, I just like to talk to people. I'm, I'm, I am actually, I'm one of those people, I'm not an extrovert. Believe it or not, I just I go to a place and I, I scout it out. If I see someone looks interesting, I'll talk to them. Then I can talk to them for hours. And then people go, hey, Steve's a real nice guy. And I just I build it that way. I, I don't need to be the life of the party. Some people, you know, I would you, never think that you're not extroverted. Well, you know I, what I mean? It's like I don't I don't sit there. I don't go in a room and go, hey, hey, I'm Coop. Yo, what's up? Coop in the house. I don't do that shit. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't do that. But like what makes you a good network? Because uh... what I remember when I met you. And I'll, I'll talk do I do people. that? Do I do that, Steve? No, do no, I you do, don't. Do I? When, when I met you, just like okay. we, I said I met him at a party, and it was a uh, Lucky Lever, the drummer of the Circle Jerks, and he happens to yeah, be a man. tax lawyer, and he has this six million dollar mansion in the Hollywood Hills, and we're at a party around New Year's, and and I sat there and I said to Lucky, I said, who who'd be good to get on Cooper Talk? Because Lucky had done it. He goes, Oh, Rich Redman, he plays for Jason Aldean. Well, I didn't, I don't, I didn't follow, I didn't know who Jason Aldean was, and Joanne's like. You know, he's a big country guy. My my buddy JP was, you know, JP. JP is like, oh yeah, yeah. My my, you know, my girl loves him. So we started talking and we hit it off. But we didn't. We never. Neither of us went like, hey, you never walked in the party going, hey, I play for this big guy, and I'm not like, hey, I gotta get guests for my show. We no. just we just got together, and I think that's <laughs> what made us good networkers. So what makes you yeah. a good networker? I think it's dude. And that's so funny. It's uh, so nice when the. The drummer from a seminal uh, punk band recommends you to go do a, a podcast, and <laughs> and that was so fun. It was the start of our friendship, man. You know, I remember driving to your uh, studio in Burbank. It was raining, um, and you had a real nice, guy, expensive man. leather jacket on. You're like, oh, I, I had just gotten that I jacket. I just got this thing. It's custom made. I can't get in here. I can't get it wet. I can't get it wet. I just got sushi. <laughs> I'm like, oh. I dude, I was totally doing the LA thing, man. Look at my new custom leather jacket. I I'm digesting sushi. Um, coming from your PR person. <laughs> I had a PR person. Oh my god! I was like, I, I can do this. I'll save. I'll save the money. Um, what I think what it, when you make it about the other person, it's always about how you can help the other person. You know what I mean? Um, or or you know, or, and how you can help them. And when you're in the business of helping people and making a difference in their lives then other really good things just happen by it just happens you know what i mean it's just just that trickle down theory if you're doing the right thing if you're walking the walk and talking the talk i just love and plus i just love people i love hearing their stories oh where do you live how long you've been here oh my oh you're vegetarian okay well, i tried that for six years but you know it's and it's and you and i have the gift of gab thank god you know because people ask me all the time i mean you do steve you do uh, one hell of an interview. I mean, you research your guests, you know, and you, I've never heard an awkward Steve Cooper interview. I mean, you are, have a, can have a very, um, 
intimate conversation with someone and does not feel like a two ferns interview, like a public television interview ever. It sounds like a very, very like two friends, you're eavesdropping on two friends having like two old fashions. You know what I mean? And that is like, that is, it's, you're gifted, man. And so um, people ask me all the time, well, what is your advice for um, introverts? And I say, get out get out like get out of your comfort zone and um and and connect with people it'll make such a powerful difference in your life i got one final question you were recently well no about a year and a half ago two years ago you were on the cover of modern drummer magazine for someone like you who you know you've said that you were the only country drummer to play the bottom bash you know because there's a thing you know rock but for someone like you what is it like for a drummer to be on that magazine. Because I, I recently interviewed Steve Smith from Journey, who's been on it five yeah. times, five yeah, times. Steve, look at that. What is it like? What was it like for you when they gave you that call and said, hey, man, we want you on the cover? Oh, so nice. I mean, that is a thing. You know, that magazine's been around since, you know, it's a niche readership. Um, but uh, but it's like as far as like drum magazines in the world, it's like the holy grail. And I think deep down every drummer's goal is like, I'd love to be on the cover of my drummer magazine. So the call comes in, you're like, it's, I've been working so long at this craft, started reading the magazine in 1975, five years old. I have every issue, read every issue front to back. And they call and they tell you that um, you're going to be on the cover. And uh, yeah, it's definitely a pinch me moment. Cause, but it's just like, I'm, what I'm saying is I've been doing this for 40 years. Right. So it's like, this feels right. This, you know what I mean? You just have to feel like, dude, you played the bar mitzvahs and the weddings and the free showcases and the, you did the hard work, dude. And so just revel in this moment. So it was cool, man. You know, go out to the to the um, uh, Mojave Desert with my, my friend and a set of drums and we set up in the rocks and we got some great photos and you send them the photos and then and then they respect you enough at the magazine to let you, uh, you know, proofread the article before it goes out, which is a lot of journalists. They say, nope, 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 nope. That's not going to happen. So I was very happy with the whole thing and it's already been brother it's already been like almost five years ago isn't that insane really holy god now go yeah that's crazy i swear to god i i'm I'm getting old anyway i know five it's like five years so it's like you know it's like every every couple years you got to like reframe and set new goals you know so um so what are your new goals my next goal well, you know, as far as magazines, I would love to get I would love to get my butt in some of these international magazines like Batour, you know, in France or like, you know, but, um, you know, we don't tour internationally. We tour like, you know, we'll do like we'll do like London and we'll do Dublin and we do Melbourne and Sydney and, you know, very like certain places where country pop artists will go. But we don't we're not working like the Eastern Bloc and Asia and South America and stuff. So a lot of these magazines, they just don't know who I am, you know, but I kind of thought that would be kind of cool to to do an article and, um, you know, have it and be in a foreign language. That'd be kind of fun. Well, I want to thank you for coming on, Rich. Uh, it's always good to talk to you. We'll, we'll, we have to do a Zoom at Christmas time. Um, tell, oh, yeah. uh, tell, tell everyone how to get in touch with you. How, how can they get in oh, touch man. with Rich Redman? Yeah. Well, man, Steve, thank you. You do a great interview. Um, uh, richredman.com. It's, uh, and there it is right there. 
Rich, if you guys are watching this, Rich Redmond, it's uh, R-E-D-M-O-N-D.com for all things. If you want to hire me as a drummer, you want to learn about my books, you want to hire me as a speaker, it's a fun little overpriced website. And then, um, you know, I have my uh, podcast, The Rich Redmond Show. You inspired me to create a podcast uh, all the way back from Coop on the Stoop. And I have 152 episodes where I talk to... Um, a lot of guests that you've had, I've pilfered them from you. Uh, a lot, of, a lot of musicians and a couple of actors and comedians, and I'm having a ball with that. I'm going to jump in uh, headfirst in the new year, Steve, with the podcast. So people, go check out Rich. Go check out his podcast. Go to richremen.com. Uh, you can follow uh, me at Twitter at Cooper Talk. Uh, go find the Coop Tank, uh, the Coop Tank or on uh, Spotify iHeartRadio or Amazon, there's 18 episodes of talking to local business people and people out of the area who have something to say. They do, they have a story, and it's, it's why they do what they do. Also, you can find my other podcast at coopertalk.net. If you need someone to interview you, we can bring you in studio. I can give you a professional quality interview. The guys from uh, Sweet Recording will sit there and produce it and make a great package together. And if you need to be coached about the interviewing process, you can email me at thecooptank at yahoo.com. So I want to thank Joe Ganjemi. And if you have any, you know, event streaming, podcast, videocast, anything, studio builds, go to Sweet Recording. Go to sweetrecording.com. That's S-U-I-T-E. I'm Steve Cooper, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks, Steve.